So, this morning's a passage that you may be very familiar with. You may have heard uh, these words, words a fair amount because um, this is the Last Supper, as it's called, Jesus' final meal with his disciples, which we remember every time we take communion. Uh, we remember these words. And uh, this is not just any meal, though. This is not just like the last meal of a condemned man, you know, a prisoner on death row. What would you like for your final meal? Um, this is actually the Passover meal, the Passover feast. And Passover is part of Israel's story, their nation's history, and it ties in with our Easter story what, that we celebrate during Easter. But at this moment, the disciples and Jesus are gathering to take the Passover meal. And Passover is the moment when Israel remembers how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, there are some verses I want to read from Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. But here we go. Right. So, moreover, so this is God speaking. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites who the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So these verses kind of uh, summarize what God did during that first Passover. If you're familiar with the story, I'm sure many of you are not. But uh, Sorry, many of you are. Probably more of you are than not in this group of people, but some of you may not be. But the story of how uh, God chose Moses and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh said, no, and God sent the plagues. And eventually Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. And they, and, but they, um, they left and they came to the Red Sea and they couldn't pass and God parted the Red Sea. And uh, all of that, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that story. And Passover every year, the people of Israel, the Jewish people to this day, gather and share a meal where they remember these promises, remember this store part of their story. The Passover is not just a meal, it's a ceremony, it's a, a ritual. Every year, the same things are done as a part of this meal. The same foods are used, the same questions asked, the same scriptures read, the same stories told. It's a ceremony, it's a way of celebrating this moment in their history. And... The interesting thing is that some of the things that Jewish families still do today to remember the Passover were things that were done centuries ago, were done on this evening that we read about, where Jesus and his disciples shared this meal together. And in this text that we've read today, you can see the link with some of the things that are a part of the, the ceremony, a part of the ritual of the Passover. And uh, I, I've done some research for this sermon. Normally I don't. I just, you know, whatever. I put down whatever I want and, and just say it. But I've done some research today and um, I've sort of put together some interest, uh, things I thought were interesting. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'll share them 
with the people, the good people of Barton, because these are interesting things. These are actually important things, I think, for us to understand about this meal. So, uh, and help us to understand the scripture and, and what's going on in this, this story. Now, one of the things that uh, I know, you, some of you may know, is that there are four moments during the Passover feast where you stop and have a drink. And it's not because, you know, you're thirsty, uh, you've just eaten some, some sort of matzah, some unleavened bread, and it's stuck in your throat, and you need to wash it down. It is because there are four moments in the Passover feast where you drink to remember a promise of God. The four cups, they're called. Everyone has their cup. Some, sometimes you might literally have four cups in front of you. You drink from, from each cup at a specific moment, but everyone has their cup. And this is something that's still done today, the four cups, and it's something that was done in Jesus' time. And the cups have different names. Depending on, you know, where you find this information, you may find they have different names. Depending where you look, they're called different things. But each of those cups is linked to one of the promises in those verses in Exodus that we looked at before. So, uh, Rob, could you put the Exodus 6 back up, please? The first cup that you drink in the Passover meal is called the cup of sanctification. As I said, where you look, you may find it's called different things, but the cup of sanctification. And it is linked to this first promise, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So when you drink that, the first cup, you remember that promise. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance. I will free you from being slaves to them. That's the the promise you remember when you drink the second cup. The third cup and the fourth cup are actually drunk after the meal's finished. And uh, the third cup is called the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. That's the promise for that cup. And the fourth and final cup is the cup of restoration. That would be, I think, in verse 7, where God says, I will take you as my own people. So you drink four cups during four times during this ceremony, and you remember each of those promises linked from those Exodus verses. And the thing is, when we read in the Gospels about this Last Supper, about the Final Supper, we read the words, and Jesus took the cup. We read it several times, and this is not just, you know, pointing out, oh, Jesus wanted a drink. It's linking to these specific moments in the Passover ceremony where we drink one of the the four cups. And in today's passage, there's two moments where it says, you know, and Jesus took the cup. Verse 17 is the first one. We read that, you know, after taking the cup, it says, Jesus uh, says, take this and divide it among you. He says that to his disciples. And um, it's not clear which cup. It doesn't say, you know, which of the four cups it is. But, you know, I'm, I did a bit of detective work. And in the passage, you know, we read Jesus took the cup. And the next thing he does is break the bread. And if you look at the Passover festival, that's generally what happens is you have the first cup, the cup of sanctification, and then you break the bread. So I'm assuming here, I might be wrong, but I'm assuming that the very first cup of the meal, Jesus takes his first cup, the cup of sanctification linked to this promise, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then he deviates from the script 
of the Passover feast straight away. He does something different. He says, you know, here, you take this. He takes his cup and he divides it among the disciples. Maybe, you know, literally pouring it into their cups, dividing his cup among their cups. And he says to them, I'm not going to drink this cup. In fact, he says to them, I'm not going to drink again any of these cups of the fruit of the vine until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And I don't think that this is Jesus just saying, you know what, I've decided I'm not going to drink alcohol anymore um, because those of you who are very astute and know the scriptures very well will know that one of the things that happened at the crucifixion is Jesus says, I'm thirsty, and he is fed um, sour wine uh, on a sponge at the end of a stick. Uh, So it's not that Jesus never drinks wine again, but what he's saying in this moment is, you know what, we're going to do things differently. This Passover feast, which has been done the same for centuries, we're going to do it differently. I am not going to drink the cups, the four cups that come along. And he divides this first cup among his disciples. And then we read that he takes the bread and breaks it. And this is part of something you do in the Passover feast as well. You break the the bread, the the matzah, and it symbolizes God parting the Red Sea. It symbolizes that moment in the Exodus story where the Israelites come up against the Red Sea. They're being chased by Pharaoh's men, and there is no way forward, and God makes a way by parting the Red Sea. At that moment, symbolic of that moment, Jesus breaks the bread, and what does he say? This is my body. Jesus is doing something incredible here. He's essentially saying, you know what? God is going to make a new way. God is going to make a new way out of slavery. And how is he going to do this? My body, broken for you. And then we read later in the meal, verse 20, we again read Jesus takes a cup. And again, it says, you know, it doesn't say which cup it is, but it does say after the supper, he took the cup. So we're on to either the third or the fourth cup. Now, probably the third cup seems, this is what I think. And the third cup, in case you've forgotten, which you probably have, the third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with outstretched arms and mighty act of judgment. During this cup, Jesus says, you know what? This is the new covenant in my blood. A new cup of redemption. My body, says Jesus, makes a new way out of slavery. My blood makes a new covenant. Jesus puts himself in the Passover story as the one who redeems people, who brings them out of slavery. This is what Jesus does during this feast. It's not just, you know, having a a picnic with his friends. He's doing something very deliberate, something very significant. He is transforming this ceremony that has been the same for hundreds of years and saying something new is happening here. There is a new redemption, a new way out of slavery, a new Passover. Now, 
Imagine being there. Imagine being one of those disciples. Imagine thinking about these promises in Exodus and, and hearing what Jesus is saying. You've heard these promises every year of your life. And Jesus is saying, this is what God has done in the past. You know the story. You know the prophet Jeremiah talking about saying, one day I will give a new covenant. God's saying, I will give a new covenant. I will write my law on people's hearts instead of stone. You know all this. And Jesus says to the disciples, in this moment, in this moment, you are seeing it happen. Imagine that. Imagine how transformative. Imagine how amazing it must be to be in that moment. And then Jesus spoils it all. A cloud appears on the horizon because he chooses this precise moment to say, one of you, one of you who is eating this meal with me will betray me. Chaos. The moment is ruined. You would have thought Jesus would have had a better sense of timing, don't you? To know when to say these kind of things. There's no time to dwell on the magnificence of what has just happened. This new covenant, this new promise of redemption. Their disciples are turning to one another. Who is it? Is it you? Is it me? What does it mean? I found it interesting when I read this, when I tried to picture what was happening here, that they're having this this amazing experience and all of a sudden Jesus throws a spanner in the works and says, one of you is going to betray me. One moment the sky is clear, you're marvelling at something incredible that God has done. The next, the very next moment, is chaos, is confusion, you're uncertain and you're no longer having a good time. And as I was thinking about this, I have to admit, it brought a smile to my lips because I thought, yeah, I recognize this moment. I've been here myself. I know this about following Jesus. My experience is like that of the disciples. One moment, things are going well. God is close. God is present. God has shown you something amazing. The very next moment, confusion. What's going on? I don't understand what's happening. Have you experienced that? Have you had that experience? Has that been a part of your journey? God, why can't the good times last a bit longer? Why do you have to go and spoil everything by making everything so confusing? Just when I'm on the brink of something amazing, things go wrong or strange. Is it just me who finds that walking the path of Jesus is like that? There are times where I've been close to God, where God has broken through in my life, done something amazing, and I've said, this is incredible. I shall never be depressed again. (laughs) That doesn't last. I shall never doubt you again, God, after this. How long does that last? One moment God's shown you some incredible thing. He's revealed something amazing. He has restored you. He has healed you. He has blessed you in some incredible way. And the next moment, things are going wrong and you feel very confused and a bit uncomfortable with what's happening. It's interesting to me that this is what Jesus does. He gives them something amazing, something life-changing, something incredible, and then immediately throws a spanner in the works. This is interesting to me, if that's the right word. And I think 
the reality is that following Jesus is sometimes a bittersweet experience. This is normal. This is what it means. This is part of the human experience of following Jesus. Don't trust anyone who tells you that it's easy. Don't trust anyone who tells you, you know, once you give your life to Jesus, all your problems go away and and everything's smooth and no more problems, no more darkness. Don't trust anyone who says that because it's not what life is like. It's not what following Jesus is like. It wasn't like that for the disciples. It wasn't like that for the disciples. The truth is, it is harder to believe than not to. That's the truth. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and that is true. But he also says to his disciples, you must take up your cross every day and follow me. That's true as well. Matthew 6, if you read Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, the passage where Jesus talks about not worrying, do not worry, such a comfort, such a reassurance. If you look it up in Matthew 6, it's quite interesting what he says. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, because you've got enough to worry about today. That's what he says in Matthew 6. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it in abundance. But he also says, If you want to follow me, you've got to count the cost. You've got to think about what it's going to cost you. There is a cost to being my disciple. I think joy, moments of joy mixed with moments of sadness is normal for the Christian. It's a normal part of Christian life because we take the grace and the blessing of God, but we live in a world where we don't quite fit, where things are not right, And we carry that struggle. It's not easy. You take the blessing with the pain when you decide to follow Jesus. That's how it was for the disciples. That's how it is for us. But you know what? That is also how it is, how it was for Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? This passage we read today, what does Jesus say at the beginning of the meal when the time came, the disciples reclined? And Jesus, who knows full well what's happening, he's going to be betrayed. This is his last meal with his friends. He knows what's awaiting him. And he says, I have eagerly waited for this moment to share this meal with you before I suffer. He knows full well what's happening. And yet he takes this moment to say, you know what, I've actually looked forward to this time. I've looked forward to this opportunity to be with you, to share this meal with my friends. I've looked forward. This is the culmination of everything we've been doing for the past three years. This is where it all comes together. I have looked forward to this moment. I have eagerly desired this moment. This is a moment of joy for me. This is good. And yet a few hours later, a few hours later, He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is he saying? What's he praying? God, I don't want to do this. Is there another way we can do this? Is there another way we can do this? Jesus knows the joy and the sorrow, the blessing and the pain of living a life of trying to be obedient to the Father. Jesus knows this. This is his experience too. Jesus, the Son of God knows the joy and the agony of obedience. He knows the excitement. He knows the hope 
He knows what it is to be part of an amazing thing that God the Father is doing and going to do. But he knows the cost. And he knows the hardship of what it means to be a part of that thing that God is going to do. And the thing we know is that he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to, but he did. He chose to share the fullness of humanity. Not just the good parts of being us, but the bad parts too. He chose to share our experience of the joy and pain of following God. He is uninsulated from suffering by his origin. He did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, something to be held onto, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. We do not have a high priest who was not tempted in every way we were tempted. There are some people, I think, who may feel that imagining Jesus experiencing joy and suffering, imagining Jesus having to struggle with the act of obeying the Father, there are some who might think that belittles him. That makes him smaller. It makes me love him even more. And something else about this passage, you know, we started in the middle of this passage. We went to the end. I want to go back to the beginning, just jump back to the beginning. That moment where the disciples say, where shall we prepare the Passover? And Jesus says, look, I've already arranged it. I've already taken care of it. This is what you need to do. This is who Jesus is. He is the one who has prepared the Passover, prepared where we should take the Passover. He is the one who has gone before us. He's prepared things so that all we needed to do was turn up, get the food ready, and eat. He went before us, walking the path of obedience to the Father, taking the joy with the suffering, and he says, you will follow me. And so we do the same. And he went before us to the cross. He did not drink the cup of redemption. He was the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. That's who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He is redemption. That's who he is. He is the chance to be forgiven. He is the chance to start every day as though it were a new beginning. Some of us might have forgotten that. We've become lost in the storm clouds. We've become burdened by life, and that joy we may have known has slipped from our grasp. Jesus is redemption. He's the one you come to and say, what do I do now? And he says, I've taken care of it. Let me show you where you need to go. And it's possible that some of you here may have never known Jesus, may never have known redemption. You may know many things. You may know many things, but you have never known redemption. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus offers. One day, there will be no clouds on the horizon. There will be just a meal 
Jesus eating again bread and wine with his friends because the kingdom of God has been fulfilled. And the message of the gospel is that whoever you are, whatever your story, however you feel about life, the universe and everything, there's a place for you at that table.